It's time for episode 299 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 19th, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast whose half-hour mission is to explore strange new topics, to seek out new people and new technology, and to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. I am Dan Morin, and I am joined across this vast expanse of internet by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? Fire phasers. (laughs) You're on brand. I like it. That's what I wanted to hear. I love that intro. That was like the best intro we've had in a while. So I'm <laughs> saved really it for two ninety nine. Wait a minute, that's right. Didn't you steal that from Georgia Dow back on disruption? I think <laughs> okay, you did. That's true. That's true. I oh, think you there's, did. There's already oh, no. controversy happening. Well, we'll take a step back. Uh, this is, of course, the show where we talk about four tech topics with two fantastic guests. To my left, it is a software engineer and a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives in my home Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It's Brianna Wu. Hi, Bri. What's crackalackin'? <laughs> Welcome Didn't back. Did you steal that from Brie Wu? <laughs> I did. I did. Just keeping it retro. Keeping it retro. <laughs> uh, and to my left is editor at Max Stories and Club Max Stories, the co-host of AppStories.net and the Dialogue Podcast. It is John Voorhees. Hello, John. Hey, everybody. Great to be here. Great to have you. All right, let's get this right underway because it is a show that goes only 30 minutes. My question for you today is how do you folks deal with large stores of data files? Do you try to trust everything to, say, your internal storage on a computer? Do you hang a bunch of external drives off of it? Do you use a networked attached storage device? Do you just upload everything to the cloud? What is your kind of strategy for dealing with your your gigantic collections of digital data that I assume we all have? Bree, you want to kick us off here? So I can tell you what not to use. Uh, I spent a lot of money on a uh, Symantec uh, NAS. Uh, it was the wire cutter's top choice uh, for this. And I, I read that wire cutter is generally solid. I bought it. It has been an absolute disaster. Um, you know, I really regret investing $1,000 into this system. I followed every single uh, solution, uh, every single bit of documentation, and my time machine just constantly fails. So what I end up having is a uh, uh, like NAS in my basement that I can force connect every like three or four months to get a time machine backup. It's a terrible system, and I need to upgrade it immediately. So I hope people have better suggestions than that. Uh, I just have big pockets. Um, <laughs> just keep everything in those big, but no, uh, for me, I, Brie, I've had the same problem with network attached storage where when I try to do time machine backups to them, they constantly fail. It won't stay backed up. I don't know what happens. There's like disconnections. I don't know. So when I do time machine stuff, I just do that from a, uh, USB C or rather USB 3.0 drive that I have connected manually. Um, I do have network attached storage, which is where most of my files go. I just don't do any backing up to it. Um, I'm kind of horrible when it comes to uh, organization of those files that I have. And so I just kind of have a running junk drawer of stuff that after I'm done using it, it just gets kicked over into uh, my, my network attached storage. And then everything else goes into Dropbox. I've seen a lot of people recently trying to make the switch from Dropbox to other things. 
things. I'm still firmly stuck in the Dropbox camp, despite having two terabytes of iCloud drive storage that I just really don't use. So yeah, between big pockets, network attached storage and Dropbox, I think, uh, I think there's some sort of solution in there. John, do you have like an all encompassing solution for us? Let's hear it. You know, I, I really don't. I mean, I guess my, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I have a similar situation to the both of you. You know, one thing that I guess I try to do though is when I buy a new computer, I try to get as much internal storage as I can because it's just faster and easier to manage. So when I got a new Mac Mini in March, I got a one terabyte SSD in it, which was about. I mean, you can go bigger than that, but it gets super expensive very, very fast. And one terabyte's a pretty good size for me for what I do. So you know, right now that thing is about seventy, seventy-five percent full, I'd say. And I'm starting to think about what am I going to do? What am I going to do when that gets up into the eighty to ninety percent range, where you start seeing weird things happening with Mac OS? So I'm thinking about adding on to it probably another terabyte to two terabytes of external storage, hopefully fast SSDs, just hanging off the back using USB 3. That's, uh, you know, for things like, then I can move things off the internal drive like logic projects for when I'm editing podcasts and those kinds of larger files that I generate. In terms of things like Time Machine, I have a separate uh, just spinning hard drive hanging off of uh, a router that that works and, and, you know, both fingers crossed. It's been pretty solid for me so far. How about you, Dan? Uh, what I'm hearing is we're all a mess together. That's that's good. <laughs> uh, no, I, my dilemma actually came about because as listeners of probably some of my other podcasts will know, I had a Mac Mini that, that died, and that was sort of my file server. And so I've been trying to figure out a way to replace that and whether I need to get another mini or whether I need, should in, invest in a network attached storage device just to store like, you know, big media files like you, John, logic projects. That's a big one that takes up a lot of space. And my iMac simply doesn't have the internal storage for it. But I actually had put a two terabyte like SSD into that Mac mini like a month before it died. Oh, no. So it's like, well, the new ones, you can't even put more storage in. Like you said, you got to buy it ahead of time and it gets pricey pretty quick. So yeah, I'm kind of still in a dilemma. And the answer is, none of you had a surefire solution for me but now i have a lot more options to look at so i suppose that's good i can spend some more time doing research thanks for your thoughts on that let us go to our second topic today which comes from brie so this is a really serious topic uh everybody uh facebook announced this week that they're going to be putting out uh basically their own cryptocurrency uh payment system within facebook they've partnered with a lot of uh, similarly morally challenged companies like uber and uh the goal here is basically for facebook to create its own uh alternative uh currency uh, for people to use. Um, the kind of pretext for it is for it to facilitate payments between countries. Uh, there's a lot of downside with it that I'll come back to, but I'd love to hear everyone else's uh, thoughts on that first. So Micah, how do you feel about Facebook's uh, cryptocurrency plans? Yeah, so I kind of I got a uh pinged this question by family members and friends and things and i um you know i've got i've got just absolute facebook skepticism and uh, what i've noticed is that that has made its way into more of the general public my youngest brother um he's you know he's a he's a gamer and he's uh he knows how to like fix an iphone but he's not as techy as i am and so 
hearing him say, yeah, I don't really trust Facebook. And, and, and tell me more about like what's with this privacy stuff that's going on. That was a really interesting moment for me because for me, that was kind of a, an introduction to the fact that everyday folks are also becoming skeptical of, of this, this company and the things that they do. Um, on the whole, I don't understand cryptocurrency that well. Um, and so I'm approaching it just from the perspective of having uh, just massive amounts of mistrust about Facebook. I have deleted my Facebook account like, uh, I don't know, many months ago. And the company, frankly, you know, gives me uh, a bit of a sour stomach. So when I heard they were launching a cryptocurrency, I said, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And in terms of the the power that this company has when it comes to elections, uh, that especially is scary to me because now we've got a cryptocurrency and, you know, one of the main things they talk about with cryptocurrencies is that it's untraceable and it's this and it's that. And so you tie like having a very easy ability to buy ads on this site to, uh, these, these, foreign actors and things like that. And it's all just bad. I, I don't like it. I, I'm not, not happy about it. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned that Facebook is going to run away with yet another thing that we will find out in the end is, is not a good idea. John, what are your thoughts? You know, I'm no fan of Facebook either, but I think that there's maybe even a bigger story here, which is that, you know, this is really like a new kind of old-fashioned money. Because unlike something like Bitcoin, which is a speculative cryptocurrency, this is going to be asset-backed just kind of like, you know, dollars and that sort of thing. Uh, and it's going to be turned over to a nonprofit in a, in a year, I guess. And it's a nonprofit that's made up of a bunch of corporations. And when you think about it, what's really, you know, currency is really one of the things that is a, a pillar of any government around the world. And to turn that over to a group of corporations who are not elected officials uh, really bothers me. And I think that, you know, for me, I, I, I certainly don't trust Facebook. But I really don't trust any company to have that sort of power. I think that those are the kind of things that really, I mean, as many problems as there are with our government and others around the world right now, uh, I'd, I'd prefer to have elected officials dealing with my money than uh, a, a corporation that's looking out for its shareholders. Yeah, John, you nailed my thoughts exactly. I don't understand why anybody would turn currency over to a, a group of private corporations that there's no accountability, you know, that, that makes very little sense to me. I can see totally why it benefits all of those corporations. What I can't see is what it benefits just the average people. I think right. we're, we're totally likely to get the shaft on that. And I think it's, um, it's just, to me, feels very transparent in terms of as much as Facebook claims they will divest themselves from this, uh, this organization. Uh, to me, that just totally smacks of like, we are creating something that we think will make us a lot of money because we think not only will we have some say in how it is run, but you know, it will be used for buying stuff from us. And that's the big question in terms of whether it will get any adoption whatsoever is whether it's broad enough to be useful. Um, I, I yeah I I am very skeptical of cryptocurrency in general. I think the technology has a lot of promise, but I think the kind of like the speculative angle, like John was saying, in terms of how people have played that as a market, I think is very risky and one of those things that you know there, there is a bubble that's kind of popped already on that. And uh, yeah, I think my my feeling comes down to much like Mike, I'm very skeptical of Facebook in general. 
and I'm very skeptical of turning over currency. The only thing worse than a currency run regulated by your government is a currency regulated by private corporations. <laughs> and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to stick to that. Bree, what do you have? What sort of doom and gloom do you have for us here? Well, I, 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 I hate to sound negative on this, but I think it's even more serious than uh, you all have said. Uh, Dan, what town in Massachusetts do you live in again? I live in Somerville. Okay, Somerville's going to be fine, but as I've run for office here in Massachusetts, uh, you know, a lot of towns south of Boston are dealing with an eroding tax basis. Like the the simple fact is, property taxes are becoming a higher and higher percentage of people's revenue. When you see stories like Amazon not having to pay any federal taxes, I want you to take a second and reflect on how much worse that's going to be mm-hmm. if like Facebook and Uber and other companies are like using their own private currency to buy mm, things with. Mm-hmm. You're trusting them to report their earnings. There's no oversight. Imagine if Facebook, the scandal where we found out political ads were paid with by rubles. Well, what happens when anyone from anywhere can uh, go and buy this cryptocurrency and buy anything with it? It just absolutely shreds the ability of anyone external to Facebook to uh, conduct oversight. Uh, Another thing that really, really uh, should concern people is I've been a proponent for a long time for limited integration of Bitcoin into our monetary system. I think it's fine for that to be a certain portion of the, the financial economy. I don't have an issue with that. But the advantage to that is it is a decentralized currency. The way Facebook is doing it, not anyone can mine, only Facebook's partner that they choose can mine and use the public ledger to write these transactions down. So Facebook and its chosen partners are controlling everything about the money supply, everything about what gets recorded. Uh, There's just so many ways that this can go wrong. And I personally think this is the kind of problem I'm very well suited to address when I'm serving in the House of Representatives. I like that, ironically, this is the one place that Facebook would actually care about privacy. It's just their privacy, not ours. <laughs> their own, yeah. <laughs> All right, that is two topics down, two topics to go, which, of course, means it is halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by our very good friends at Linode. Woo! With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud, and you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers, and they're all looked after by their incredible 24-7 support team. If you ever run into any problems, just drop them an email, give them a call. You can chat over IRC in the Linode community if that's easier, whatever suits you best. And they have tons of useful guides and support documentations. If you just need to quickly look something up, you can. I've used a bunch of those on my server to figure out how to install certain software or configure things correctly. They are a lifesaver. Their new management panel is now in beta at cloud.lino.com. This new console is a single-page application built using the cutting-edge React.js stack and is backed entirely by Linode's public API and its open source. Plus, they feature two-factor authentication to keep you and all your data safe and secure. Linode has pricing options to suit everybody. Their plans start at a gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And Linode has a special offer for you as a listener of this show. You can go to linode.com slash clockwise and use promo code clockwise2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. On that one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have absolutely nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash clockwise and promo code clockwise2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all 
of Relay FM. All right, halftime is over. Micah, take it away. All right, so YouTube has just launched a new augmented reality beauty try-on feature. So the way this works is while you're watching like a makeup tutorial on YouTube, you the the creator can set up a little thing that says, okay, I want to make these makeups available to the person watching. And then while you're watching on whatever device you have that supports augmented reality, you can actually try on those different makeups. Um, this is one example of several different types of, of AR try-on features. You know, there have been glasses companies that let you try on glasses, furniture companies that let you sort of drop furniture in your house and see how it looks. I'm curious, you know, for one, have you ever used any of these features before? And do you find that this is a gimmick or could it actually be useful either now or as uh, AR continues to improve? John, we'll start with you. I, I do find it useful. I haven't had a lot of experience with it, but I did buy some Warby Parker glasses this way. And, you know, I had had some of their glasses in the past and done their home try on thing where they send you a bunch of samples, you try them on, you figure out what you want to buy. And then you send back the samples. Well, I was looking to get a new set of frames and the frames that I was interested in, they didn't have for try on, I think because it was just a new frame that was popular. So I, I tried the try on and it looked surprisingly close to what I ultimately ended up buying. It, the thing that made the most difference, I guess, to me was that it give, gave me a good sense for the size of the frames on my face because, you know, it's it's never fun to end up with a pair of glasses that's either like looks a little too small for your head or too big. And, and these look just right. And it worked out really well. So I was really happy with it. That said, though, I haven't really ever done anything like tried on clothes or or furniture in, in my home or anything like that. Yeah, the only time I've used something kind of like this was several years ago, I was buying a new TV. And at the time, Vizio had like an app where you could print out like a QR code and slap it on like your wall. And it would, you know, put an AR TV set there and you could figure out what the right size was for the space. And it was kind of janky because that was like several years ago at this point. But I liked the idea because it gave me like, well, okay, is this going to fit on the stand I already have? Is this going to look huge in the room? Is it going to be too small? Uh, Same sort of thing. I think that's there's a lot of benefit to that. Uh, I've played around a little bit with the Ikea one, too, um, which was much better. (laughs) I remember when I first moved into my apartment, I was trying to figure out what size couch. And so I would like get out a bunch of newspaper and put it on the floor and measure out like the footprint of the couch that I was thinking about. And Oh yeah. Okay. So that sort of fits in this space. Certainly better than that. Um, but I think that there's, uh, I think AR has gotten a lot better. I think this is useful for a variety of features. I'm kind of curious to know how well it works for some things. You know, if I were buying a, a suit or something, for example, I'm not sure that AR would give me currently would give me quite the level of precision that I'd be looking at for that sort of thing for me to really trust it. But yeah, I can imagine like a pair of glasses or a, a hat or makeup. I think all those things are, are much more doable right now. And I, I think there's there's definitely a, a gimmick aspect to it, but I think it also has its uses as well. Bree, what about you? Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I don't think it's gimmicky. I, I did kind of roll my eyes a little bit. Uh, WWDC when they were talking about this, kind of treating it like a panacea for, you know, poor sales or things like that, or like, oh, just integrate this with just a few clicks. And I'm like, do you have any idea how much uh, work is involved with 3D asset creation? Like, that's something I do know a lot about. So um, I sometimes worry that the way it's been marketed to developers is a little bit overblown. But like, Micah, you had mentioned makeup tutorials. I would absolutely love something like this to be integrated with that 
that. Um, so I think it has a future. I just would, uh, you know, it's one of these things. It's always overhyped the practicality of it. There are going to be some cases where it's useful, but it's not going to change the world. Yeah, uh, I especially agree with that last part there. Um, good answers all around. In fact, I I have used the try on for glasses before and found that a little bit helpful. Um, because, you know, depending on the frames, they might stick out a little bit more, they might be too uh, thin for my face, what, what have you. And so being able to get a little bit of a better look into that is nice. I think one of the places where I found it most helpful is with uh, like, wall art or things that go on the wall, like a, a planning for hanging my television on a wall mount was very nice, uh, where I could AR stick that to my wall and see kind of where I wanted it placed and how much space it was going to take up. Um, I do think that this is going to continue to get better. I mean, even before we had the new AR magic that we've had, Snapchat was very good at doing facial feature stuff. And so, yeah, I, I like the idea that you can try out some, you know, new foundations or eyeshadow before you actually buy them to see, you know, how they look on your skin tone and things like that is very helpful, uh, particularly when you have companies that are maybe not taking uh, other skin tones into factor when it comes to makeup. So uh, there's some good here. And uh, I hope that you know we continue to see improvements with this form of AR because this seems to be the one that's this type is pitched to the masses uh, more so than than any other it seems if you know being Ikea was one of the first ones that Apple was like, yes, put a couch in your living room in in AR. So yeah, it's it's interesting. And let's Let's go ahead and move on to our last topic, which comes from John. All right. There was a ton of stuff that was announced this year at WWC. It went by lightning fast, and there was just heaps and heaps of new information and technologies and things announced. But I'd like to know, what do you expect to have the biggest impact on you personally of the things announced, and what you think will have the biggest impact on Apple itself from the things that were announced? Uh, I think the first two, so two small things I think that will have huge impacts on me. Uh, the Reminders app redesign. I already use Reminders a lot, but I think it's just a really clunky app, and I'm glad to see they've taken sort of a, a whole overhaul of it. I think that will streamline a bunch of the stuff I do every day. And then the swipe typing. I'm really excited about swipe typing. I was walking down the street trying to uh, text my fiance the other day, and I was like typing, you know, doing my two hand, two thumb typing as I walked down the street and kept mistyping everything. I was like, oh, God, this is so much easier if I could just do the swipe typing thing. So I'm really looking forward to that for, for my personal productivity. In terms of Apple for the long term, I, I think it's hard. I'm really interested to see the impact of sign in with Apple. Uh, I think that is potentially a huge game changer, not only because it is something that customers want and it's something that hasn't really been tried before but also because strategically it's all about denying information to apple's competitors which thrive on collecting personal data about people so if apple can provide an experience that is streamlined and easy and doesn't require you to share any personal information then not only is that great for us because we can use it but it's also bad for facebook and google because people will use the apple version instead in many places so i think that is potentially a really big game changer for apple and i'm i'm really looking forward to not having to type in my email address a bunch of places anymore 
Uh, you definitely took mine, Dan. I think it's sign in <laughs> with Apple. Uh, you know, I, I want to say I have, in running for office, I've really gotten to, uh, I've studied a lot more about cybersecurity and have really been shown some some terrifying ways that the information that's out there can be misused by bad actors, by hackers, by phishing attempts. I think this is such an important feature, not just for the people using it, but for the national security of the United States. Um, I was, I have to admit, I was a little frustrated on Twitter when this was announced. And a lot of Apple fans were like, yes, this is a step forward. This is something that is good overall. And you kind of had, or at least I had a lot of people being like, no, it shouldn't like be in Apple's walled garden. And you know, one company can't control all all of that, you know, sometimes we need to make peace with a 90% solution instead of a 100% solution. Like you're not going to get normal people to make uh, burner emails every single time <laughs> they have a sign on. So I think this is a, it's a pretty good solution. Um, and I think it is just a huge step forward. So I'm um, excited to see how many app developers end up implementing this. And frankly, I hope the rest of the industry will follow in offering these kinds of alternatives uh so in terms of what will impact me um i (laughs) i i've talked about this i think in several different places i'm just really pumped that audio and media playing options have come to automations um so now when i create like my good morning scene uh i can not only have the lights turn on and you know the coffee pot start and the dog feeder feed the dogs but i can also have you know my favorite beyonce song start playing which before i would have to make happen by touching my phone like some kind of animal now that all happens automatically which which i think is going to be fun to sort of uh work media into some of those automations it's the same thing with the apple tv uh you can set it so that it not only turns on an apple tv but then launches an app on your apple tv uh based on what's actually there that you've installed so that's going to be personally a lot of fun and will it has already impacted me immediately because i have been playing with those features uh in terms of apple i do think that single sign-on is is the big one but i'm going to go with another one that i think will impact apple and that is swift ui uh based solely on the developer response at wwdc proper and or at the keynote proper and then again uh, when I was watching the State of the Union, uh, the excitement that continued to to happen there, um, Apple has made some big improvements in Xcode, um, Swift itself, and and of course now we have Swift UI. People are pumped about this, and I think that the way that it impacts Apple is a way that Apple has always been impacted, and that's by these third party developers who create incredible apps and services for these devices that we use every day. So more people creating more awesome stuff is always a good thing for Apple. John, any last thoughts on that? Sure. You know, I'm going to go really mundane personally, which is the Files app, because mm. the the changes to the Files app are the kind of things that impact me every single day. I find myself far too frequently trying to just manage files, move them from folder to folder, access them, do whatever with them on iOS and just getting frustrated and going to my Mac. And I think the the changes to files are going to make a big difference in kind of my, my daily work. 
and on for Apple, I, I'd go with Swift UI too because you know what this enables is faster iteration by developers on developing UIs for apps that'll work across all of Apple's hardware. I think in the long term, it's going to take a little while for this to you know kind of sh- uh, shake out and to be adopted. But there's a lot of excitement around it, as you said, Micah, and I think in the long run, it is going to make a huge difference to developer adoption of all of the Apple platforms. Excellent answers all around. That is four topics down. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. Really quick, tell me if there is a book, movie, TV show, game, album, whatever piece of media that you're really looking forward to this summer. Bree? Oh, come on. It's got to be The Expanse season uh, season four coming out. Super pumped for that. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, for for me, Melissa McPhail, uh, she writes the a pattern of light and sh- a pattern of shadow and light series, and the last and final book, the sixth strand, is out. But later, it will be released on Audible with Nick Podell um, narrating it, and I can't wait for it to come out. I can't wait to finish off the series. For me, it's Spider Man: Far From Home. I got my tickets weeks ago, and I'm ready to go Fourth of July weekend. Nice. I'm really looking forward to the network stars is doing an adaptation of a book I loved called The Rook, uh, which is sort of a supernatural thriller. I'm really excited for that, which comes out, I think, at the end of June. So that's a lot of great tips for all of you out there for things to watch out for. But that brings us to the end of our show. And all that remains is to thank our fantastic guests this week. Brianna Wu, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. And John Voorhees, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And Micah, we must boldly keep going on to next week. But until then, let us remind everyone out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.